Hello and welcome to the very last episode of the Future of Internal Communication podcast of 2022. I am your host Kat and as ever I'm joined by the awesome Jen and Dom and today we're going to mix things up a little bit. We thought what we would like to do is just have a bit of a reflection time on all the conversations that we've had over the course of this year and just perhaps connect with one another and see, check in and find out which episodes in particular resonated most for each of us. That was my big plan at the start of um, thinking about this session. But in actual fact, I think what else we would like to do, just given everything that has happened over the course of 2022, and given some of the communication voids, I think we've all witnessed, we thought we would also have a conflab about what we perceive to be the challenges and opportunities um, in the field of communications and of course what this means for you our listeners operating in the field of internal communication so without further ado I want to bring in you guys Dom and Jen and just ask you Dom what was your not what was your favourite episode, because I don't want to infer that any of our guests were favourite, but what <laughs> one topic is still kind of flying around your cranial space? Oh, that's a, a great question, Kat. Thank you very much. Well, as you say, it, it was a fine crop of podcasts this year, but I think there are actually two that particularly caused me to give thought. One was uh, we had Andrew try talking about intergenerational working. And, communication across generations. And then we also had Domna Lazadu talking about cultural communication, so culturally complex environments. And I think in good traditional style, there were three things that were commonplace to both of those, which I think also echo some of the issues we need to be considering about now, given the context in which the world is at the moment. The first was the fact that you can't go away from simple messaging. Um, I think both Andrew and Domna were saying you're dealing with generations or cultures, it's important to get your message right, to hone it, to be clear, to be consistent in line and simple, and not obscure it with lots of complex language and and, uh, and references that people don't, don't necessarily know. I, I think the second thing was about listening, because when you're dealing with different generations or different people's experiences or, or different cultures, um, you can't you can't suppose what their what their issues are and what their drivers are. And I think both said you have to listen and listen properly. So have conversations and make sure you act on what you're being told so that you shape your messages, well, sorry, shape the way you deliver your messages so that they best meet the audience requirements. And I think the, the third thing was about, about media, about sometimes I think even now many communicators jump straight to media. And one of the big caveats that they both gave us was you know, don't worry about media. Uh, and in fact, in many cases, it was conversation that was the most powerful method of communication. In fact, I think that whole thing around the power of conversation came through virtually all, in fact, not if not all the podcasts that we've, we've done. So those are my three things, I think. Clarity of message, listening and understanding, see how things land at understanding context, and really focusing on conversation as, as a prime method of communication. Yeah, I think that is that has come through thick and fast, both in the context of the um, episodes that we've recorded this year, but also how global events have unraveled um, this year, more of which later. But 
that active listening piece, and I know we're going to be focusing a lot more on that next year in 2023, you know, it's almost as if we forget that listening is the, is the reciprocal part of communication. We've got to shift away from simply thinking about the broadcast. We've got to um, hone and nurture and protect the art of two-way respectful inclusive conversation at work otherwise we're going nowhere and I think for me then that kind of segues a tiny bit into one well the two episodes that I really enjoyed um one was the conversation with Luis Suarez because he's been working in this distributed uh fashion for 20 years and has got such insights around you know, how to build better connection and community when you're not all together in the same room. So very poignant for the hybrid working age. Um, but the other one, the other conversation that I really enjoyed was with Catherine Handy Woods when she was talking to us about how to have a better meeting. And I don't know whether you guys felt this, but I kind of came away going, gosh, we waste a lot of time at work, literally performative just going through motions and not actually achieving anything nobody's feeling seen nobody's feeling heard nobody feels like their contribution has mattered and no wonder we're all so blimmin' frustrated all the time there's a common thing i think kat in, in both of those which you can paraphrase as being when people feel their messages are not getting through particularly leaders they, they often turn up the volume and again We'll talk about this later, but that's what we're seeing happening, I think, in government, certainly in the UK. But, but yeah, it, it, that, they came through in both of those conversations that, you know, in meetings, if people don't feel as though they get the message to, they just say it again or say it louder rather than stopping and, and asking questions. And I know it seems so obvious, um, but you're right, that particular podcast made me think about that as well, about how we can approach things differently. What about you, Jen? Yeah, there's so much of what you've both said that just oh, it just takes you back to those amazing conversations that made me feel so energised. But also, like Dom said, just because actually simplicity is key in everything, in every aspect of what we do. And, you know, and that thing around conversation is a phrase since that, that podcast that you mentioned, Kat, that I've used over and over again is we seem to be constantly in creating workflow dynamics feeding the task-based system not the human system which is what Catherine said and for me that human system is actually will then drive the task-based system and actually the imbalance in that conversation is really starting to show and and it's listening to obviously we've talked about listening and all those things and so for me we're all so interconnected which is great um I had I loved every episode, but a couple that stood out to me was, of course, David McLeod, who we talked to as sort of the guru, I guess, of engaged success and and therefore the creation of the, the the enabler of employee voice, which is listening feedback loops, however terminology you want to use that. But the the thing that he said that that really stood out to me was that employee voice listening however we do it it is smoke detectors they enable you to see what is coming 
and to be tuned into what the mood, the moment, the problems are of the business rather than having to react. They give you foresight and foresight's really, really powerful because you can catch something before it gets worse. But also what he was saying was in the in the world of hybrid working now and this new design of how we work, we need so many more smoke detectors. And I think that where that's also driven me to as I think about that and taking that forward is how are we doing that with agility? How are we listening regularly, regularly, you know, feeding back regularly? You know, are we just waiting? Sometimes we can't live in a let's do the annual engagement survey world anymore. And that will tell us what we need to do next year. We actually need to have listening and feedback loops plugged in with such high regularity of listen, feedback, listen feedback to be able to see what is coming and being able to respond to that. And also, as you said, you've talked about enable people to feel heard on a regular basis and hybrid working. We don't feel as heard perhaps as we once used to. And that then leads me on as well to one of the thoughts I've had around the, the profession and where we are as internal communicators is yes, having flexibility, we should champion that to the end. But are we out there enough, really listening, really hearing what's going on? Do we think screens are really going to, and we know conversation is the way to do that? Then that leads me on to the to the episode with Lindsay when we talked about alignment. And are we truly aligned and mean that in terms of our functions? We are, are we really, if we're thinking about listening and is that seen as a people strategy and how is that aligning to what we do at the people end to the external comms end? I still don't think we've joined all those dots, but that also further leads me on to really take away the fact that are we, we're less aligned than ever as human beings. We're all, our preferences and that ability and that cultural difference, we can be, and we should be proud to be culturally different and to be who we are. There should never be a problem to be who you are. But actually, we need to now embrace that and work out where is our common goals? Where are our shared goals? Both centrally in terms of thinking about our strategic impact as a function alongside our, our, our counterparts or our colleagues, but also then helping our people to find their shared goals to make sure that we feel more connected than ever. So those are some of the things I think that, that have stood out to me. I think it is really interesting. I think, um, you know, one of the things that strikes me and it has struck me throughout, you know, the two years, it will be three years, but will it be three? It will be three years, won't it? Next March, three years of pandemic. Um, one of the things that has struck me the most is the conversations that I've had with people who have been proud to share that they have their engagement under control because they have an engagement survey, because they pay a subscription to a survey platform. And actually, at the end of it all, coming back to, you know, what David McLeod said, it, it's, you can get your sound bites until the cows come home. Of course you can. Most of the time, however, they'll only ever be as good as the questions that have been asked and they'll be out of date by the time you come to evaluate the responses. And they're absolutely useless unless you're prepared to act on the responses. Um, but actually, the most 
simple and effective way of getting information and the information that happens around the edges of your organization is your barometer of what's going on in your marketplace getting that information comes through smooth respectful inclusive conversation which happens in real time and actually i think within the epicenter of all organizations we need like a a conversation lab where we're rediscovering the art of conversation because we have collectively as a species allowed this natural skill set to just get replaced by digital and if we don't use it we will lose it and you know if if what we see out there in our in the country at the moment is representative of um well you know what we see in our in our in our politics we are completely divided i know america is completely divided um we can't have respectful dialogues about contentious issues anymore without you know fear of retribution of of those conversations and um, deteriorating into just slanging matches but you know in parallel we've got these massive issues where um the only way that we're going to solve bigish big problems is by coming together as communities so i definitely feel you know the way forward for um internal communication into 2023 is actually almost coming back to the basics the basics that we've almost overlooked because they are actually so simple because they are innate to us as human beings. I remember when we started this podcast series, we were talking about, you know, the history of, of human communication and and us as biological creatures and this amazing capacity we have to share information with one another. I think we've got to get back to that actually. So we can continue to focus on content and channels and platforms and whatever whatever but actually there's a really compelling piece and everybody that I've spoken to who's operating in the field of internal comms gets very enamored when you start talking about the basic art of communication of conversation I beg your pardon I noticed recently quite heartening you may have seen as well that many schools are now actually teaching students how to have constructive debate and conversation and it was one of the brighter moments of the, reading the news over the last few months that we've had, at least I thought so. But the whole fact that they're realising that people don't feel as though they can express views because they're fearful of being stamped on. And they're also very intolerant. Or some people can be very intolerant of uh, those that express views different from them, as you were saying. And I think the fact that that's being recognised and they're taking steps to try and encourage proper debate is great. I think that then gives us as communicators even more power to our elbows to pursue that next year and beyond. Um, and it goes back to, you were talking about engagement surveys there, Kat, and that's, that's right, because let's imagine we had an engagement survey that was taken in March of this year. For many organisations, that would still be seen as current, but completely useless, because I imagine that all that's happened over the course of this year would have changed businesses and the way that people see their businesses as well. So wherever I've seen engagement surveys have any impact, they're more frequent, they're shorter, but also they're around conversation. They're used by local leaders to have conversations to say, what does this mean? It sparks discussion, targets the conversation, and helps them come up with some conclusions. 
Uh, well, that's the only thing they're useful for, really. It's about sparking a good conversation, I think. And I, and I think, sorry, just to say, I think also we have to start weaving this back in almost at a grassroots level because if you look at how divisive our media has become and if you look at how wholly divisive our, some of our pole position politicians have become, you know, there are those who will look at those senior leaders and see them as role models. And we have to be the antidote to that because that's not feeding anybody. It's not benefiting anybody at all, is it? No, I was going to say, you know, Kat and I'm, Dom, I know you're going to have some really keen views on this as well, is that, that one thing, though, that I've taken away in my recent month's conversation with, with many internal communicators and picking up on what you're saying is that it has never been so scary to communicate and it's never been such a time when we need to communicate. And that's a really difficult place for many people to be and for internal communicators to advise on across a number of things and of course the leadership is fundamental to that and what we're saying and how we're advising our leaders and the behaviors that they demonstrate and i'm going to probably throw this over to you dom next but also the thing that's really struck me in recent conversations as well when we're taking on current times and whether that's the cost of living crisis and whether that's dealing with uncertainty which is just a continued emotion as a human being right now is that our line managers are those dealing with the everyday conversation. What are we doing to support them? Because that's a lot to deal with because actually in that day-to-day to help their people, I still don't feel that we're, we're giving them the space and the support. Dom, like I say, I know you're, you're a passionate expert on this topic. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's right. I think um, so what do those organisations that get it right, what do they do? And I, and I think the first is they have to be clear on what they expect from line. Let's talk about line managers more than senior leaders. What do they expect from line managers day to day with communication? Because you talk to lots of line managers and there are very, very few that willfully want to keep information from their people who want to keep their people in the dark. But they do say just what you said. What am I allowed to say? Um, how do I deal with questions? Um, how, you know, basically, where do I get my information from? So I think. Being very clear about what's expected of a line manager when it comes to communication is very helpful. The second is access to information. None of us likes to go out and, uh, and talk to people when we've got nothing much to say. So I think providing that information in, in a usable format, a uh, structured usable format is, is very important. And then I guess the bit you'd expect me to say, but I will say anyway, is, is making sure they're equipped with the skills. Because a lot of effective line manager communication is about confidence. And you build that confidence by knowing you've got the skills, knowing that if someone challenges you with a tough question, you've got a few techniques to protect yourself and, and make sure you don't get sucked into an emotional debate. Uh, it's about having a chance to practice. No one gets a chance to practice with comms. Um, but having ha- having a, 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 an opportunity to practice and get some feedback from the, their colleagues. And don't worry, I'm not saying this should always be down to a consultant coming or anything like that. You can do that within a, an organisation with each other. I think just having that time to discuss things as well is very important. So it is about clarity and about preparation and giving people confidence, I think. And I think, you know, gosh, look at what's happened this year. I'm I'm trying to um, cast my mind back 
um, to explore whether or not there was anything significant that happened prior to February the 24th, which is, of course, the day that Russia invaded Ukraine. And I can't actually think of anything. For me, it's almost as if the year began on the 24th of February. But, you know, here we are, what, uh, eight months later? And I just keep thinking now, because obviously, um, you know, the Russian tactics have um, changed pace again. And all those multinational organisations are now having to face into the fact that perhaps it, you, there's just no, there's no way that you can keep your Russian entities open. There's no way that you can protect the jobs of the Russian employees or anybody that was, you know, um, in the wider kind of ecosystem supply chain. We've had to become very good at crisis management, haven't we? Um, and crisis communication over the last um, over the last year, and none of it is straightforward. None of it is um, none of it is easy. And I totally hear you guys when you tell us that many people now are fearful of saying anything, less it be the wrong thing. And I guess one of the things that I was thinking about as you were saying that was maybe an antidote is to just start really small and rather than thinking that you have to broadcast a communication message, just build kind of advocacy for your what it is that you want to say one by one by one, which is really the only way that human to human communication has ever worked anyway. It's only the internet that has allowed us mere mortals to broadcast our messages, isn't it? And I and I can't help but think, I know I'm kind of rambling all over the place because I'm just about to jump from Russia to the state of UK politics. But oh my goodness me, it's like our politicians completely missed the masterclass on how to navigate um, communication as highly transparent, visible leaders. I mean, Dom, I know this is your bailiwick, so please chime in. But I, there have been bits in this year where I actually thought I was in a parallel universe. <laughs> yes. Um, so look, we're recording this in what the middle of October. So we're three weeks away from the budget that never was. And we're right in the middle of the fallout of, of all of that. And I think if you look back over the last four or five weeks um, of, of UK government, and this is not a party political point at all, but you look back on the standard of leadership communication and it does highlight some of the things we've been talking about, I think. I mean, the, the first thing is, uh, I, I, there's a book by a guy called Steve Richards, which is a profile of every prime minister since Churchill. It spans his career as a journalist. And it's a fantastic book. I will recommend it. And there's lots of stuff around leadership comms in there. And one of the things he says in there is that those prime ministers, certainly in the last four or five decades, who have been successful have been what he calls teacher leaders. So leaders who can build a story, bring people with them, and explain why things, in their view anyway, need to be changed. He quotes Harold Wilson in the 60s, who 
uh, radically changed the whole approach to government. And, and in fact, if you look at Britain at the end of the 60s, it was completely different from the start of the 60s. One of the reasons was Wilson's ability to take people with him. Uh, Margaret Thatcher, of course, who radically altered the country, and Tony Blair, because they brought people with them, they could tell a story. And you contrast that with what happened in the budget and around it, the way that the current Prime Minister and her team have gone about making change. It's just unbelievable. Now, I know that she was saying, well, I've got 18 months at the very most to make a change to the country in terms of the election. But it hasn't worked. And it hasn't worked because there's been no consultation, no discussion, no uh, preparing the pitch, I think, is the term that the, uh, the PR wonks would, 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 would use. But it is important. There's been none of that. And I think we could take a strong uh, lesson from that when we support our leaders. They just have to educate people, bring people with them, prepare the ground before they do any radical changes. Um, I think the, the second thing is about listening. We've talked about listening already. Um, but I, I, I do think that because Liz Truss was talking to, what do they say, 100,000 Conservative Party members of the electorate, many of whom, at least the ones that she spoke to, would have been in agreement with her, there's a massive amount of groupthink. I just think they're staggered when they come out and announce this, that they haven't, there haven't been ticker tape parades um, you know, saying how wonderful they are because they were so into that group thing that they didn't want to listen and to talk. The third thing, sorry, the third thing no, about no, no, this, go, 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 go. I think the third thing, and, and this is not being unkind to the Prime Minister at all, but the power of presentation, particularly when you're against the flow in a context where people have questions and when you're giving very contentious messages. And she is not a powerful presenter not an impactful presenter and that has a massive impact i think in certain circumstances and i know that's going contrary to some of the things we say around the power of conversation but when you are putting across a difficult message a complex message you need to be able to communicate it in the way that people are going to respond to i absolutely agree dominant just as you say that just striking in my brain what have we learned from the pandemic what was the fundamental thing we said was a great change in communication yes perhaps whether that was particularly in organisations, was empathetic, human authenticity. And, uh, and I agree with you. And, and I feel that that's, that's a skill that's really important that I'm not seeing is because it just, I don't buy it, whether or not, and, and I'm not saying that they aren't or understanding, but I don't feel that. And that's another thing as well is we need to feel communication. We need to feel what people are saying just as much believe the evidence or the substance that we get behind it. And for me, in times like this, you know, that that empathetic emotional intelligence communication is so needed because we talked about it a lot. It's uncertainty is the worst human emotion. It's the worst human emotion. It's the worst thing to deal with well, and we need to do more of it. I think so. Th there's, there is that question around if you're leading you have to be able to read a room you have to be able to understand the sentiment in the room but actually for me as well regardless of whether or not somebody presents themselves well and has a good strong communication style one of the things that i feel is pretty unforgivable actually over the course of this year is that for six or so weeks, there was no communication. So we were, as a country, starting to become aware of um, the looming energy crisis. We had that shocking weather in the summer with a heat wave 
that caused wildfires that burnt down houses on the outskirts of London. We have never, ever seen footage as terrifying as that on home territory and we had nothing um for me this piece around you know there's there's several things one is being able to communicate empathically and for me i think that in that demands um visibility and transparency and presence by which i mean be with us don't disappear off don't disappear off i think we had that comms void for however long it was you know i know exactly we were up at um we were up at the festival in nottinghamshire the night that sunak and um javid resigned which was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back for a whole spate of um resignations but from the point that uh Boris Johnson eventually resigned to the point that Liz Truss was declared the new Conservative Prime Minister. We just had a period of nothing. And I, on the one hand, I think that's deplorable. On the other hand, I think that's an amazing learning opportunity for every single one of us who practices internal communication because voids are an absolute disaster for anybody that is um, responsible for filling that void. And I think for me, the standout would be, it really doesn't matter if you don't have anything of substance to say. If you are communicating with heart, even if what you are saying is, I have nothing to share with you, you are showing yourself to be present and in solidarity with the people that are uncertain. If you yeah. Trans yeah, if you translate into an organisation, I mean, we know you cannot not communicate. So in an organisation, people would not interpret a silence kindly. They won't say, they're obviously very busy as leaders getting on with the job behind the scenes, we'll let them get on with it. They're going to say they haven't got a clue or they're, they're avoiding it or... They're going to say, why are they not keeping us informed? What have they got to hide? So I think that's absolutely right. If you take that that impression we had as a country and put it down into a small into into a microcosm of an organisation, if leaders don't communicate over a period of time, it causes lots of speculation, lots of rumour. And, and you're right, they don't, they, they haven't always got hard facts to give. But at least remind people what's happening or what would need to happen before they have the hard facts, or just remind them they're working on things. Um, just gives that reassurance. Otherwise, people get very, understandably, quite nervous. Yeah, 100%. Just even, even as, you know, at the time that we're recording this and you think about, you know, this mini budget that has been uh, issued without, I mean, clearly it took many party members by surprise. There's not been very much by way of justification for it. The mar financial markets are in in turmoil. It's you know a point of massive anxiety for people right up and down the country, and still there's no calming of the waters. There's nothing. Nobody standing up and saying, "Don't worry. The reason why we've got that, you know, the reason why we're doing X, Y, and Z, you might not necessarily understand the complexity, but tr but trust us." trust us you know we're doing the right thing it's all in your best interest and so on and so forth 
And because that's not being said, you're left thinking, well, it's not in our best interest at all, is it? It's serving the finite few and not, you know, the many of us who are working our butts off to keep our lights on in our homes and so on. That's a brilliant point. Sorry, that point. Sorry, I think that's a brilliant point because um, I, I'm a naive fool, perhaps, but I, I don't particularly like what the government's doing, but I do generally believe they're doing it because they think it's the right thing to do. But because they haven't explained it and they haven't had the narrative, and they haven't done the teaching, it was, it's very easy for lots of people to say, you're reducing tax to help your rich mates in the city make more money. Now, I generally don't think that's the motivation behind it, but I can see how that narrative has got traction because there's nothing else to replace it. So people think, OK, that must be right. It goes back to your point of not explaining principles behind it. It's such a radical change that when they hear possibly an untrue reasoning behind it, it's very easy for people to latch onto it and say, yes, OK, that's true. They are feathering the nest of the rich. And I think... No, I, and I was just going to pick up, Donna, because there's so much for me. There's two key words that both of you said is reassurance and understanding. But also what just sparking on from, from what you're saying is that I don't know if I'm seeing the rise of it, perhaps because I'm getting a little bit older. So I like to stay in touch, you know, with, with how things are done. But the other thing I've really noticed is there's this rise of bite-sized culture, bite-sized communication. So we're not enabling that context, that understanding. And then what you're also getting is the rise of user-generated content which takes that narrative that you've just explained there Dom and then spins it out spins it out another level and then you start to get viral communications going out from the people that we do trust perhaps even we don't know them they're strangers but you think they live like me they look like me they are like me and they're saying that so then you've got this narrative then as an employer or as an internal communicator you're trying to almost battle against that that sense of no one tells the truth anymore or no one really understands me or, or no one's really getting me um and i'm just seeing that that's then really really difficult for communication so we need to be really mindful of enabling reassurance but also more so enabling under not like sometimes but understanding and if you don't if you lose that narrative so early on where people don't understand it, it's really hard to claw back because the, 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 the ripple effects of that misunderstanding or lack of understanding and lack of distrust just ripples through many, many areas of our personal conversations and our personal consumption of content. And I think that's something, going back to Kat's point about what, to, what does this mean for communication, internal communication next year? I think that's another thing we're going to have to deal with. I think what's happened over the last few months has badly damaged trust in leadership full stop. And that will have an impact on leaders within organisations because people, as you say, are going to question their leaders in organisations because they've been, they feel they've been let down by national leaders. I think that will be an issue. Uh, it already has been, but I think it'll be even more of an issue next year. We well, see so two points on that score. One is, gosh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what the 2023 Edelman Trust Barometer has to tell us because, you know, that is that is the uh, go-to report now, isn't it, on, on issues of trust. But um, I suppose starting to think about wrapping this up, what, what do you guys see as being the areas of focus and the opportunities for internal comms in 2023. Those might be the same thing, I'm not sure. Areas of opportunity and challenge. I don't know, I, I, is there gonna be more challenge for the, 
Yeah, the opportunities are endless, you know, in terms of because we know how powerful communication is and and the backdrop of organizations in this current market and in these current conditions and in this current pace, um, the pressure is on whether that's in the retention fight, whether that's in the innovation fight, the productivity fight, whatever needles they need to push um, that, that are really pressurizing them. Communication has an input and an impact in all of those areas and, and that will be different. Um, so I think the opportunities are endless, but I think that we've talked about listening. I think that's absolutely key. Enabling conversation is absolutely key. Um, but I also think that there is, and it, this comes out of some of the recent conversations I've been having is sort of, well, and it feels like this conversation is coming back about in internal communication, people understanding our strategic value, like no one understands our strategic value. And I'm sort of sitting there going, I get that, I get that, but this is the opportunity to show your strategic value. If you can create that listening, that agility to make sure you catch a business before it falls for whatever wrong narrative or wrong way forward, that is incredi incredibly impactful. If someone comes into my ear as a CEO and goes, look, Jen, I know you didn't mean that, but there's this conversation happening in the room over there where they're starting to think that, you know, uh, you know, you're keeping, you're making money, but you're not willing to give it to the employees or you're taking, which is a complete false narrative, which we've talked about. Let me, I'm giving a really high, that isn't happening. Let me caveat that. Um, just, let me give you that as an example. But I would then really appreciate that if someone brought that foresight to me for them to me be able to act upon and make a change and open up a conversation so that then I don't have talent walking out the door. And that's a very kind of, I guess, strange way of looking at it but for me that that strategic value is the opportunity and the techniques are endless so i think you're right about the internal communication being a source of information and intelligence about what the organization is feeling is really important and i think i like that things are unfortunately it looks like things are going to get very tough you know we're already not too far in, well look it looks like we're not too far away from recession at the moment so if that's the case then i guess the good news for us as communicators is leaders tend to realize they have to get across tough messages and they're more open to support about how to do that. So that makes them, um, I guess, yeah, more open, I think, to being able to, to be helped about that. Um, I think the opportunity also is we're going through very tough times. There's an opportunity, I think, for organizations to build strong relationships with their employees by saying, how can we help you? And it's not always financial, but how can we help you during these tough times? At least recognizing that people are finding things tough. I think that's that's a that's an important part as well, um, but I think the the, the, the threat, and this would be a threat which people who worked in comms have known for years. When budgets are tight, we're still as communicators an easy target for cuts. And I take your point, Jen. The more communicators can demonstrate their strategic ability and help, that's that's great. But we're all, always a, a soft target, I think, and that's going to be a threat potentially if we are going to go into recession and all that brings. Well, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I've been listening to both of you and thinking, you know, ultimately, conversation is the glue that binds people together. And I don't disagree at all. We are going to go into tough times. We're going to see insolvencies and redundancies and some very, very, very difficult trading circumstances. And actually, you know, the one thing that uh, internal communication internal communicators can do that doesn't require budget 
is to go out into their communities and foster and encourage conversation. It costs nothing. The only thing that that costs is um, time and, you know, woe betide any manager or leader who says you've spent too long talking today because if that's the point that we end up at then oh my god who would want to work somewhere like that anyway you know for me 2023 right across the board has to be about more thoughtful purposeful inclusive empathic meaningful conversations because none of us are going to get through whatever the world has to throw at us in isolation from one another and so anybody working in internal comms at the moment who is worried about the fact that their budget or that the organizational budget might get slashed to their detriment i would go back with who's going to help your organization nurture and foster brilliant communication because that is the only thing that is going to keep all your people going in the right direction for you i agree and i think that next year has to be the year that we we embrace conversation in whatever theme mechanism needs ways that, that that meets the needs of, of of those people and i think the one thing i would say positively you know we've talked about those threats but we've also talked about some opportunities but the thing I've noticed just in this last month in particular, which fills me with positivity for next year, is people's want and desire to get out and talk to people and make sense of it is getting higher and higher and higher. And when sometimes I would say a year ago, it felt really hard to get out there and get people to talk. I am seeing the desire for conversation just anecdotally really increase and so i think there's an opportunity for us to embrace conversation as a collective community of our own right to help each other through whatever we navigate next year but also then to help our employees and our people and play that bridge between what the employees feel and what the business needs um because bridges can look at the thing that we, we combine the two amazing Oh, well, this has been, I'm sorry, this, uh, this has been an absolutely fantastic session. And please, may I, without getting too gushing, say what a privilege to record with you guys over the course of the last year. I am delighted to say we will be recording more episodes in 2023. And we have got some very, very exciting guests lined up. So, um, I guess, in the words of Dominic Waters, I need to bring everybody into land and wrap this session up. But thank you very much for um, listening today. And thank you, Dom. Thank you, Jen. And we'll look forward to chatting again in January 23. Thank you also, too. Thank you. It's been a brilliant year and there's more good conversation to come. Thank you, Kat. Yes, thank you very much both. Thanks, Kat. Looking forward to next year. And you. Thanks for listening today. This episode has been brought to you by the Institute of Internal Communication and was hosted by myself, Jen Sproul, Kat Barnard and Dominic Walters. This episode was produced by Jessica Williams and Shabita Luogampalu. And if you enjoyed this episode today, we'd be enormously grateful if you could 
rate, review and subscribe on the channel you use to tune in to help others know that we're here. Hopefully you'll tune in again next time.